You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, it, it just it just sucks, you know, having to watch all my teammates, you know, battle their butts off during the game. And, you know, I, I for sure couldn't do anything that they do, and I respect the hell out of those guys. And seeing all the preparation that those guys put in every single week and all the, all the weight room hours that we do and all the film sessions, you know, it just... It sucks for me knowing that I can't be out there for those guys. And Preparing for my senior year, I didn't want it to go like this, but I think, you know, in the end, a season like this, you know, you kind of really find out who you are and who the guys next to you are. And I, I, haven't, I haven't seen anybody quit yet. You know, it's easy to quit in a season like this when things are going like this. As far as where our head's at now, it's just we got we to, gotta, you know, face the facts, watch the film, um, you know, see, see where we can get better. And then you just got to use this game as a tool. We've just come through a game of 400 rushing yards, so and we're playing a, a back like that, so we've got a big job ahead of us. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and man, guys, it is... It's officially gotten ugly. It already had been kind of ugly. Well, it's, it's kind of reached the breaking point for Nebraska uh, with 56 points. 400 rushing yards allowed last week at Minnesota. Um, really one of the lower points defensively for Mike Riley in his era, along with the Purdue loss in year one. Uh, but this was to an offense that was ranked 119th nationally, a team that was 1-5 going into Saturday's game that had previously the week before been blown out by Michigan. Um, and so just the context of it all, um, really was not good for Nebraska, particularly on defense. You knew what Minnesota was going to do. They even only threw the ball three times the entire second half, and Nebraska still couldn't stop them. And now it doesn't get any easier. They go out to Penn State this week. Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley, uh, Mike Kosicki, one of the most high-powered offenses in the Big Ten. Nebraska finds themselves as a 26-point underdog. I believe the second biggest line they face – since the uh, it's the biggest line they faced since 04 Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken, that was a 30 point line, and Bill Callahan kicked the last second field goal for the for the cover. <laughs> of course he did. But guys, where do we go here? I mean, it's 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 just um, I've never really felt going out to a game like this, Robin, where you know it's going to be a blowout. I mean, and that's the feeling I think we all have going into Saturday. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. So I've been covering this team in some fashion since 2002, and I can count on my hand uh, the number of times I've gone into a game thinking Nebraska has zero chance to win, and this is one of them. And this is the second time this year I felt that way when you add in Ohio State. Uh, so it kind of tells you a lot about the state of where things are with this program right now. Um, it's just the point where Nebraska is going into conference games with very pretty much zero outside hope uh, or even giving them a chance of, of winning, let alone staying within three touchdowns. Uh, so, I mean, this is about as bad as I've seen Nebraska football get. Um, and you know, the, the, the next two weeks probably couldn't go by soon enough uh, for a lot of Nebraska fans and I'm sure some of, the, some of the players on the team too. Yeah, I mean, these two teams are about as exact polar opposite you know, in pretty much every statistical category, as you can imagine. Uh, and then you factor in, you know, where where are the the where's the mental state of this Nebraska football team? You know, where where are these players at at this point? Where are the coaches at in this point? How invested are they still in this? And, you know, and this is a daunting challenge. Travel all the way to to state college, and everyone probably already you know knows what the outcome is going to be. You know, I guess you know how are, how are they going to stay in it and 
and and you know approach this whole fight is is my biggest question i I think that we're going to find out a lot about just exactly who cares and and who's still um in this thing you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan robin washett nate klaus as we uh, get you ready for saturday's game at penn state and uh, you know, you, you go back to Minnesota, though, guys, and the way that loss happened, we talked about this off air here, but there were a lot of people on Saturday night, on Sunday, that legitimately thought that Bill Moose could could make a move on Mike Riley, or even maybe Bob Diaco would be removed after the week he had, followed by the performance of his defense, and um, Sunday came and went. It was nothing, um, despite the number of text messages and rumors and things flying around on our phones uh, media members driving home all night to get back just in case on Sunday. By the way, Robin and I did not do that. We stayed in the night in Minneapolis <laughs> we Saturday. Rolled the dice. But Bill Moose kind of proved who he is. I mean, he's made a statement. I don't make coaching changes during the season. He's very comfortable in his own skin. He's not a guy that's going to just, you know, appease the the mob and, um, you know, basically win the press conference and, you know, fire Mike Riley on just pure emotion. He's come out and said that. He's going to make this decision at the end of the season, and he's he's sticking to his guns. Yeah, and you you wrote about this uh, on Thursday, Sean, and obviously uh, this shows a lot about you know what when Bill Moose says something, uh, he means it, and that always hasn't been the case with um, the administration with Nebraska Athletic Department. So uh, I, I think that that's a credit to him. Um, as bad as things have gotten, as tumultuous as the culture is around Nebraska football right now, he's going to stick to his word, let this thing finish out, and then make a decision. But I guarantee you uh, the wheels have been in motion and are probably full steam ahead towards finding um, the next step um, uh, as of Saturday after Black Friday uh, of what they're going to do. Um, You know, he's a guy that in his opening press conference said, you know, you better have a plan in place if you're going to make a coaching change. You can't sit there and uh, fire a guy and then assemble a 20 person committee and then go through all this evaluation. And next thing you know, all the candidates you want are already gone. Uh, so, I mean, this is probably something that, um, you know, yes, he's letting things play out, but behind the scenes, things are very much, um, I'm sure, in the works as to, you know, what they're going to do next. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure making a change, whether it be with Mike Riley or, or Bob Diaco, probably crossed his mind. But at the same time, I don't know what that would have accomplished other than, you know, making some fans feel better after witnessing that that loss. So, um, you know, I, I felt like, you know, any any type of reaction – as far as a firing, you know, goes, would have just kind of appeased the the mob mentality that a lot of Husker fans had after that. So, <laughs> and uh, it gets bad. The mob yeah. mentality gets. I mean, I, and I don't know if we're just so into it, Nate, that you see it on social media. If you listen to enough sports talk radio, but it, it, it's pretty bad right now. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, you know, fans are fed up, and and uh, and they want kind of instant gratification. I think that if they can't get a if they can't get a win or, or feel good about something this season, they want to try and feel good about you know some guy <laughs> getting fired after that result. But in the, at the end of the day, I don't know what it really accomplishes uh, because you know it just you're not like, getting Scott Frost tomorrow. Exactly, it's gonna, it's gonna take two more weeks or whatever it's gonna take. Um, if that is the guy, and we all at this table believe that's the guy, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm speaking out of term for Robin or Nate here, but. Scott Frost is not leaving Central Florida until their season's over. So uh, putting Bob Diaco or Danny Langsdorf or John Perella in charge for two more games wouldn't have done anything, in my opinion. Yeah, and you got to think about the players, too. I mean, things are bad enough for them right now, trying to answer questions about how things got as bad as they did. And then you throw out, you know, 
seniors having to talk about a coaching change and what went wrong during the season while still trying to prepare for a game, uh, that's an unnecessary burden that you're placing on guys. And so, uh, again, uh, you can do everything that you need to do behind the scenes, but you don't need to put um, your players and the coaches who are currently still employed by your university in that situation where they have to answer questions for you. Yeah, I think the the writing's on the wall, so it it doesn't. Again, it just didn't to me at least. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to to have a, an overreaction. All right, well, we got a full show here on tap as we will get you ready for Saturday's game at Penn State. Both Robin and I will be out there along with our intern Matt Reynoldson. Um, busy weekend, uh, final road game of the year for Nebraska. They've played three of their last four on the road. That's about as daunting as you're going to see on a college football schedule. Um, and this last one, especially being a later kick in state college, uh, coming back on a short week, um, it's going to really test the uh, physicality and, and and just how mentally strong Nebraska is. But we'll talk offense, defense, we'll take your questions, then uh, we'll give you a preview of what to look for in Monday and Tuesday nights, Class A and Class B state championships with Nate Klaus. That is all next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Guys are not on the same page, uh, it's going to look pretty bad. Um, it's going to be huge for us to make sure everybody's on the same page, that we all know what's going on, that we have some nonverbal communication uh, because it will be extremely loud. And, and guys got to make sure that they're on the same page because when we're on the same page, we'll be all right. But guys start, communication starts breaking down. That's when uh, things start getting really ugly. I mean, you know, we were working on some stuff already today and, you know, you're not going to be able to hear things. So you better have a great understanding of what this defense is doing. And it's pretty complex. So you're not going to hear them much i can tell you that so and welcome back here to the husker online show sean callahan robin washett nate klaus as nebraska gets ready for the crowd noise at penn state hundred and ten thousand strong it will be their stripe game where uh each section will be blue and white all the way around the stadium in a in a perfect uh stripe design it'll be a really cool scene there in state college virtually a night game it's a 4 p.m kick i think sunset on the east coast is like 4 45 so um, it's going to be dark most of that game. Uh, this segment here of the Husker Online Show, by the way, is brought to you by Tanners. With seven locations, five in Omaha, two in Lincoln, it is your perfect spot to watch Saturday's Nebraska-Penn State game at 3 p.m. We'll have the game on on all of the TVs, as well as all the other great college football action at Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. But Guys, that, that crowd noise at Penn State's a real a real deal, um, I think, when you look at, number one, the communication of the offensive line. It's already been a problem this year. Um, Cole Conrad, for whatever reason, has not been a, an effective communicator on the line. We saw the line improve when Decker got in there because of his ability to communicate. Well, it's not going to be easy going into that environment um, on Saturday. Um, I go back, Robin, to 2002 when I was out there. That was a night game. Um, and that place was rocking in Nebraska, literally the wheels came off that day. And that was kind of the downward spiral, uh, of that 2002 season that eventually led to, um, over half of Frank Solge's coaches being fired. Um, and you know, that, that's just not an easy place to play. And with the quarterback questions, potentially with O'Brien and Lee, 
there's a lot of things from a communication standpoint that could be interesting to watch on Saturday. Yeah, this is a 110,000-seat stadium that, you know, is all geared up uh, with their stripe-out game, uh, and it's senior night. It's going to be essentially, like you said, a night game through and through, so there's going to be plenty of time for uh, fan preparation <laughs> for that game. And so uh, this is really uh, a recipe for potential disaster for Nebraska right now. When you add in um, the just poor play of the offensive line, both in protection and running the ball. Um, you know, the questions that quarterback, you know, whoever plays, either got a guy who's coming off a concussion or a redshirt freshman making his first career start. Uh, and then, you know, the just the overall crowd noise of it and just trying to operate even before the snap. Uh, this, this, this could be a bad situation if Nebraska doesn't come out um, and play its best football of the season. Um, I think the biggest issue is going to be pass protection. Um, this is a Penn State defense that is, I think they have 29 sacks on the year from 20 different players. And so they come at you from all angles. Uh, and this is a Nebraska offensive line that gave up three straight sacks at the end of the game against a three-man rush of Minnesota. So, I mean, clearly uh, the, <laughs> you could not get more uh, opposite ends of the spectrum here. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, I don't trust him to run the ball. And so this is probably going to be a situation with whoever's a quarterback going to have to pass a lot. And so there, there's uh, a potential uh, for danger here with every snap. Well, and you made a good point, Sean, with the, uh, you know, with the communication at the center position that – how it was it was pretty good with Michael Decker and then had kind of fallen off with Cole Conrad and uh, you know and, and you're you're interjecting maybe a new player maybe De- David Neville could be seeing some time there at that guard position um, you know you're making some tweaks to that line there um, and and I, in that environment I, I think that you know you got to I guess hope for the best because you're you're setting yourself up for some some breakdowns there potentially. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. This segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln, uh, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus here. And let's stick on the topic of that right side of the offensive line. It, it looks like Mike Cavanaugh is going to pull a Zach Stirrup 2015 move here and take his really big tackle and David Neville, um, uh, also a 6'9 guy just like Stirrup was, and move him inside to the guard position um, where the Huskers just have not gotten consistency since the Tanner Farmer injury at Purdue. Matt Farniak, they really want this guy to be uh, the guard of the future, but um, he struggled last week, as Danny Langsdorf talked about, Robin, on the bare front, uh, where you know they, they really, you know, between Conrad and Farniak, they just had a hard time matching up with the size of Minnesota, and I think they're worried about that matchup this week. So they're going to try something different more than likely with David Neville, um, and he will be the third different starting right guard they've had this year. They've had three different starting right tackles and two different starting centers. It's just, you know, it's a rotating carousel uh, on that offensive line right now and has been all season. Injuries have had part to do with that, but poor play you know, has been just as much of a culprit. And, um, you know, they, uh, Coach Kavanaugh was asked about, you know, disrupting some of the, the chemistry that, you know, Farniak and Hymas, who um, long term, you know, you would be projecting as the future right side of your offensive line for the next years to come. You know, why would you want to disrupt that with only two games to go? And basically, you know, he flat out said they didn't play very well um, at times against Minnesota. And so now all of a sudden you're taking another guy who's played all 29 of his games at right tackle um, and moving him inside to guard uh, against maybe the uh, maybe the, one of the most difficult uh, challenges the offensive line has faced all season. So uh, YOLO. We'll, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference, but, you know, try anything at this point. Yeah. If anything, maybe the silver lining is that, that um, you know, there's some – 
accountability being being held uh, there. You know, you had a guy who did not perform well, so you you take him out and you, you try something new, um, you know, which is something that we haven't always seen uh, at that position or at other positions on the team, too. Yeah, we haven't seen on the left side of the offensive yeah, line either. True. Which The uh, left side is... A, I would bet. argue has had just as many struggles as that They've right been side. untouchable. I don't understand. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say I don't understand, but it's been an interesting philosophy how yeah. they're kind of like made men in the mafia where yep. they're untouchable, where the right side... You know, seemingly where all the problems. And where's Bo Wilson? I mean, we heard all about playing Bo, fullback. We've heard all about Bo Wilson and the, how he was battling with Tanner Farmer during fall camp, uh, but they just have never even given him an opportunity. And the physicality and mentality he brings, um, I like that. But you know, clearly they just don't want to give him a shot out there at the guard position. Yeah, Kavanaugh said it's because he hasn't grasped the playbook yet. Well. If you're two full seasons into your college career and you haven't grasped the playbook enough to where they're putting tackles uh, over you and bumping you down to essentially fourth string, um, you know maybe he's just not as good as they thought he was going to be. But um, yeah, it's it's another head scratching development that uh, you know we just don't have answers to at this point. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we wrap up discussion going into this game and. You know, let, let's wrap it up on this t- on this topic. If Nebraska has any chance, I think, to win this game, guys, it's going to be Tanner Lee if he's back and ready to go mentally. Um, and, you know, he played a good first half at Minnesota. That gets lost in the discussion right now, Robin. Um, and and if, if he can come out and sling it around and maybe uh, th- make a b- couple of big throws, I mean, he's missed that play action all season. If he could actually mm-hmm. hit that and some of those throws like that, you know, that that to me is the only way Nebraska could really make this interesting. Yeah, and I, again, I just don't see him being able to run the ball. Um, we haven't seen it all year, at least since Trey Bryant went down. 75 yards per game over the last five. Yeah, and so, I mean, this, this game is going to come down to the quarterback. And can, the, can Tanner Lee or whoever, Patrick O'Brien, whatever it is, uh, win the game for him? And, again, this is a, a daunting pass rush. Uh, it's going to be extreme crowd noise to even get the plays off. you got coordination with your offensive line questions. Uh, it's unlikely, but, you know, that's the recipe it's going to be. It's got to be the quarterback going out and winning the game. Yeah, and, and you hope that it's not a retro freshman making his first start uh, in that environment. So, um, yeah, if, if they're going to have a shot, Tanner Lee's got to play well. All right, well, when we come back, we're going to try to figure out what Bob Diaco said after the game <laughs> and much more as we'll talk Nebraska defense. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Where do I personally start? Just coaching the players and the plays with love and diligence and helping the coaches and coaching the coaches with love and diligence and treating these beautiful grandsons and nephews and sons and brothers and cousins with love and care and helping them develop and also understanding um, how how hard it is right now. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Bob Diaco. Wow. Uh, and, and we've kind of gotten a lot of that the last couple of weeks from Bob Diaco. I mean, that sounded more like a Sunday sermon at my one-year-old's baptism than a coach trying to make sense of what happened defensively when you just gave up 400 yards. But very interesting comments from Bob Diaco and uh, more than likely he's, we're only going to see this guy coach at Nebraska two more games, Robin, as, as we look at things. 
I have the real question about you know how much this defense even buys into what he's doing right now. I mean, you listen to that as a player, as a college kid, and I don't know if that's the way he talks to his team, but I mean, I'm sitting there in those post-practice interviews, just kind of like shaking my head with a blank stare as to what exactly he's even talking about. And so I can't imagine what some college kid is thinking, you know, when he's getting poetic and uh, basically reciting like an Emily Dickinson poem or something, you know, I don't know. I mean, he, he, we knew he was kind of an oddball from day one and he told us as much, but I don't I don't think anyone expected things to get quite as weird as they've gotten over the past few weeks. Well, and, and that's something that I've wondered too is is that how he communicates with the players? Yeah. Um, and, and the strangest thing about it all to me is that I felt like there was a legitimate positive energy in the spring uh, surrounding the defense and surrounding the you know the installation of everything that that he was putting in and I felt like guys were fully bought into that and even uh, thought that during fall camp that guys were excited about it and then it's just completely falling apart and and each week it seems like there's uh, you know more and more sound bites to that you just shake your head at and wonder what the, what the heck is is going on and what are they talking about? Well, and, and to me, guys, that that is really one of his weak spots, and it's why he pushed behind the scenes, in my opinion, to not have coordinators, to not have assistant coaches do interviews. He convinced Brian Kelly at Notre Dame to go to that policy. I've confirmed that with multiple guys that covered Notre Dame over the years, and uh, Notre Dame went to a head coach only speaking policy and. Just think how different it would be just from a perception point of Bob Diaco if he wasn't talking to the media. But I think all these interview interactions have kind of painted really an interesting picture of who this guy is that almost could have been prevented if he just didn't talk to the press. Well, yeah, and you just think about all the things where there's been these side stories that wouldn't have ever happened. Um, you know, I the mean, tackling. I mean, first and foremost, you know, not doing the post-game interview. He, he actually had a legitimate reason um, why he didn't talk because they got tracked and stopped in an elevator. But that became this complete sideshow right out of the gates in week one. Uh, you know, people were calling him a child and stuff like that. And so, I mean, it's basically been since the start to this thing to the finish uh, just one big unnecessary circus that Mike Riley has had to deal with um, so I mean you got to wonder I mean uh, this this was supposed to be a, a hire that was going to change the face of the defense you know get back to the 3-4 scheme that he wanted and they've been drastically worse than they were a year ago under his longtime friend and right-hand man Mark Banker. Well, and I halfway kind of feel bad for the guy because during his introductory press conference, he basically said that he has OCD, and we know that he's not comfortable speaking. And so, you know, what have we made him do? We've made him get in front of the media after every game and and once every week, and um, and especially when things have not been going well on the field. Um, you know, that guy. I mean, he's he's got to be just a a nervous ball of energy and uh, you, you bring in your mentor, maybe the one guy that he trusts more than anybody in the world and Bob Elliott to kind of help him. And all of a sudden, you know, he loses him over the summer. So, um, you know, I, part of me does kind of feel bad for Bob Diaco in some respects. You're listening here to the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. And, and now guys, it doesn't get any easier um, they're, they're going to see as good of an offense. You can argue Ohio State was right up there with this unit, but um, this is, these are the defending Big Ten champions, Penn State, on their senior day. Saquon Barkley's not a senior, but probably his last game in State College. Um, you've got Trace McSorley, you know, a dynamic dual-threat quarterback, kind of a Russell Wilson type of guy, the way he plays with the moxie and the swagger on the field. And 
uh, great tight end and Mike Kosicki. Um, and this is a team that's still playing to get to a New York New Year's Six bowl game. They've got a lot out there. They want to finish ten and two. They could possibly win the Big Ten still, but it, it's it's more it's like a one percent chance at this point. But um, th- this is going to be the one thing, Robin, that could change it is the weather. If it's a wet, slick field on a mud, uh, you know, on grass. Um, and they're talking rain in State College. That could be an equalizer uh, for Nebraska and maybe trying to slow these guys down a little bit. Well, it's funny because you obviously have a potential Heisman Trophy finalist in Saquon Barkley, but rushing offense is probably the weakness uh, of Penn State right now. I mean, they're second in scoring offense, second in passing offense, third in total offense in the Big Ten, but you'd go all the way down to ninth in rushing He offense. doesn't have 1,000 yards yeah, yet. Yeah, he's had three straight games under 50 yards and playing mediocre teams at best. I mean, so... Uh, I, mean, I guess, well, Ohio State, Michigan State. Anyway, long story short, uh, Saquon Barkley has far been this dominant presence. And in fact, there's conversations about whether or not he should even still be in the Heisman Trophy discussion. So, I mean, if they can force this uh, Penn State team to try and get one-dimensional and run the ball, uh, not only will that take a whole load off of Nebraska's offense from trying to have to win a shootout, uh, it would also kind of, make, like you said, equalize things by taking a very uh, big play-oriented passing game and Trace McSorley out of the mix a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Rutgers kind of, they did a pretty good job of, of shutting down Barkley and, and that rush game uh, last week. And uh, and Rutgers isn't, you know, they're they're no world beater. Uh, so, but the, the, I guess the thing with Barkley that makes him so dangerous is all the other things that he does well. Yes. You know, whether it's on kickoff returns or catching the football out of the backfield and, and things of that nature. So um, he can hurt you from several different angles. I think he's got... 1500 all-purpose yards or more uh this year so uh so he may be under a thousand yards rushing but he does a lot of different things very very well but um yeah if if it is wet out um you know i I think nebraska could potentially try to limit those big plays through the air and and maybe try to corral barkley and and it's a thick heavier grass there it's not a you know a faster grass field so it's like a notre dame yeah i mean it's a i want to say it's more of a fescue type blend um, that that would grow in that part of the country, but so it's not a you know when you go down in the south, obviously it's a real you know bluegrass fast grass surface. This will this will be a slower surface, especially in the rain. And I mean I'm serious that that might help Nebraska a little bit, um, you know, as far as the game plan, and it, it could make this interesting because I, I read some of the forecasts, 80 percent chance all day it could really change things up. Yeah, and I guess you know we talked about what Nebraska needs to do offensively to even have a chance. Uh, forcing turnovers will be absolutely pivotal. If they can find a way to utilize that rain to their advantage, force a fumble or two maybe for the first time all season, uh, maybe get an interception, uh, that could go a long way into providing some desperately needed life into this team. Well, the big thing to me is if they're going to stop the quarterback run game uh, because that's something that we've seen you know, happen to Nebraska here over the last couple of weeks and especially last week. Um, in that that zone read, that quarterback keeper, uh, and Nebraska just did not have an answer for that. And you know that Penn State is going to try and do some of that stuff this weekend. They'd be stupid if they didn't. So, uh, you know, it's it's what type of adjustments this defense has made to that. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Matt Reynoldson will join us as uh, we'll, we'll get all your questions this week going out to Penn State next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
I believe in my team. I believe my team believes in uh, each other. We're going to prepare really hard for this Penn State game. It's going to be fun being able to go down there and, uh, you know, experience the whole scene of, uh, you know, their whole stripe game and all that stuff. It's going to be fun. But being able to play uh, top caliber guys like them is uh, also a good thing for our seniors and, you know, for, for guys that are uh, that are playing, you know, just to be able to, to see ourselves against other uh, really good athletes. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and A. Klaus. We bring in Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson. And that was Gerald Foster um, giving his thoughts going into Saturday's Penn State game where Nebraska finds themselves as a 26-point underdog as really not a lot of talk um, this week about the game. And I'm guessing, Matt, there's not a lot of talk about the game in the mailbag this week either. Yeah, no, pretty frosty mailbag this week to uh, use an adjective. <laughs> but uh, one pretty good question to start off with. Uh, you guys mentioned Michael Decker earlier in the show as someone who stepped in and played admirably before a season-ending injury. But he was behind Cole Conrad to start the season. So do you think there are other guys lower on the depth chart that may have performed as well or better than a starter if they had been able to play the whole season? I'm going to say David Neville, um, you know, he was playing really well in fall camp. He had a good spring. He got hurt in game one, and and I think they kind of held that against him. But I think really the last couple of weeks for, for sure, um, Minnesota and um, the Northwestern game, um, I think David Neville could have played and helped this football team if he was given a chance. Yeah, yeah. Uh... You know, it's funny because of all the – we talked about this earlier in the offensive segment, but the, the, the rotations on the offensive line and how many different starters have played uh, at center and on the right side, you got to wonder, you know, what would have happened if they would have tried something different on the left side? You know, would, would some of those issues that we've seen maybe get corrected? I, I get that they're veteran guys that have played a lot of football, but, um, you know, we've seen when you, when you put in a young guy, um, sometimes they do a little bit better and have a little bit more uh, just – skill set so I don't know that that maybe that we don't know because we never got a chance to see him play but um, that could be a potential area I'm gonna go maybe on the defensive side of the football and and uh yeah I feel like I've liked what I've seen out of Colin Miller um the past couple of weeks I think he's made some some nice plays there at linebacker um you know and then uh obviously Antonio Reed is, is another guy that that is really you know I, I think those two guys have, have kind of come on there with the defense and shown some good things well, you guys have mentioned that there might be a little bit of a QB exodus if and when there is a coaching change at the end of the year. So what are you guys looking at maybe as the QB options for next year? Do you think Nebraska maybe looks at taking a grad transfer if two guys leave or even if one guy leaves? And what do they do with QB recruiting after not really going after an 18 guy this year? Uh, I mean, it's just speculation. Nobody really knows. and that, that I mean, we don't know if Tanner Lee could go pro or what his thoughts will be. Um, we don't know what Patrick O'Brien's thinking right now. We don't know what Jebby is thinking. So there, there's a lot of unknowns until a move happens here and a new coach gets in. So I'd hate to like just throw things out there um, on something like that uh, just because it's really hard right now. Yeah, we've also seen, I mean, just go back a few years to Mike Riley. Obviously, he didn't have the quarterback he wanted uh, and adjusted his scheme. So, I mean, it didn't work out all that great. But uh, there's also a chance that, you know, whatever happens with, you know, the next administration here, uh, would they potentially just work with what they have and then recruit after the fact and not just look for an immediate fix right away? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of variables in place, and I, I think it would – if you're a player, 
um, with the change coming, I think you owe it to yourself to kind of see exactly, you know, what what's going to happen, what type of offense may or may not be, you know, run, and and how you kind of mesh with the coaches, so on and so forth. But um, you know, if there is a change, which we all anticipate, it, I would I would expect them to try and uh, go go after you know a JUCO uh, or high school or, or maybe even a grad transfer quarterback. Uh, Terry just, Wilson's one, right, yeah, Nate? To watch Terry Wilson, yeah, that's that's one. You know, if it's Frost. Um, you know, Terry Wilson, a former Nebraska commit that ended up flipping to Oregon, um, you know, and then went to Juco, uh, is he's out there. So that could be a guy that would be a really weird storyline uh, that would kind of come full circle. Uh, but he's definitely out there and a guy to keep an eye on. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and Nate Klaus. We're with Matt Reynoldson taking your questions here in the mailbag. Well, I've done my best to sift through the Frost questions thus far in the mailbag, but there's too many to ignore. So uh, if it is Frost, if Frost is the new guy, what assistance with Husker football background do you see him bringing with him? Well, I think when you just look at his staff now, Greg Austin is the offensive line coach. I think he would be um, a shoe-in at this point. I've heard nothing but good things about Greg. I've obviously covered Greg. I've known Greg since he was here his freshman year. Um, Barrett Rude. I believe would be a position coach for him. Um, he basically coaches his linebackers now. To me, that's a natural home run fit. Um, and then the other guy would be Ryan Held, and he would become a junior college expert at Nebraska if he came with Scott Frost, a former Jayhawk League head coach with contacts galore in the JUCO game, which Nate and I have talked at nauseum is something that's been missing at Nebraska under the recruiting of Mike Riley. I mean, those are the three that I would feel comfortable today would probably come to Nebraska if Frost came. And there's a current guy on the staff right now, John Perella, that I think would probably be worth at least entertaining the idea of keeping on. Uh, obviously, people have really you know been pleased with his uh, work that he's done so far with that young defensive line group, and then obviously the Nebraska ties speak for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I I think that those would make the or those would be the most likely names, um, and the the most interesting name in there is Ryan Held. You know, former head coach at Highland Community College, former head coach at Northeastern Oklahoma A uh, and M. So, uh, two pretty good JUCO programs, and and he's got a ton of contacts there. So, I, I think that would really really benefit Nebraska. And if this change were to happen, he would probably be a guy, Nate, that Nebraska. I mean, he would be a huge key. Because they would probably need a couple of quick fix guys. Yeah, there's no question. They, they would need to go out and get some guys to help with the transition, um, you know, between schemes and and to help fill any holes that may be there from potential transfers or whatever. So, um, and and I guarantee you that he's got a pretty good feel for the lay of the land right now as far as uh, junior college recruiting goes. Well, guys, there's been a lot of frustration this year about the offensive line, and here just to mesh a few questions together. What do you guys make of all the personnel switching between the offensive line? I mean, we might see David Neville at guard this week for the first time in his career. What do you make of all the personnel shuffling? I got two numbers for you the last five games. Nebraska's averaged 75 yards per game over five games, 2.8 yards per carry. When you have numbers like that in a conference like the Big Ten at a place like Nebraska that prides itself on running the football, that is an offensive line issue, and, and they just can't figure it out. Yeah, and keep in mind a lot of that rotation has had to do with injury. Um, obviously, Michael Decker going down forced their hand to move Cole Conrad back. You know, Tanner Farmer, um, you know, with the ankle injury he suffered. I mean, that that kind of made them scramble a little bit with what to do at right guard. Um, and then obviously David Neville getting hurt. So I mean, they're. they're 
it's not like they were just intentionally mixing and matching guys in, but I think some of those injuries have left them still trying to figure out what pieces fit the best, and they haven't found an answer yet. Yeah, to me, it has everything to do with injuries. That that was uh, kind of what started it all, and then and then once some guys got some experience and guys came back healthy, uh, then you try to mix and match and try to find the best five that you can um, to to accomplish <laughs> something going forward. All right, we got time, Matt, for one more here in the mailbag. All right, guys, we're a few weeks removed from Halloween, and you know what happens after Halloween? Everybody puts their Christmas lights up. People start singing Christmas music. You hear you hear it on the radio. When is too early for Christmas season to start? I I think you gotta enjoy Thanksgiving. Um, but my wife is a big put the tree up on the week of Thanksgiving. We are getting our lights hung on the week of Thanksgiving. I, I don't hang my own Christmas lights. I'm not gonna risk my life to put lights up so I pay to have my lights hung you can <laughs> everyone in South Omaha can look down on me because I'm, I'm not a true tough guy I know but um I, I'm a yeah after Thanksgiving probably yeah I'm a firm uh, believer that you cannot celebrate one holiday before another is off the board so Black Friday fine you know watch the game put your uh, Christmas lights up and uh, go from there but anything before Thanksgiving day is unnecessary I'm right there with you if I see you know if I walk into a store and hear Christmas music already <laughs> I just want to throw up it, it's <laughs> it's uh to me I, I don't like it um I don't want to have anything to do with it until after Thanksgiving's over yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet a few weeks ago that said uh just for anybody who needed a reminder, and they posted a link to isitchristmas.com or .org or something like that, and you click the link, and it just says no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a long month of December. No bowl practices, no bowl game more than likely. Uh, we're going to be home a lot. It's been rare for Robin and I particularly to be home um, around that time of the year, but it looks that way as we sit here with Nebraska 4-6. and six. All right, when we come back. We're going to wrap it up with some recruiting talk. We're going to focus the discussion, though, on the Class A and Class B state championship games as Nate and I will discuss that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. Now as we'll talk some recruiting and also give you some insight on the Class A and Class B state title games, but... Let's first hit on just some recruiting here, Nate. Obviously, there's not a lot um, to, to share at this point uh, because of the uncertainty out there. But really, to me, the story, and we'll be talking about this a lot the next few weeks, will be this early signing day. And if a change does play out, how will things play out for Nebraska? Can they really realistically sign a group of these guys early uh, on the December 20th signing day if a new coach here only has a couple of weeks to talk to them? You know, I think they can, um, but they're going to have to act fast. They're going to have to be extremely proactive in, in trying to get in front of their commitments and their targets as soon as possible um, to, to answer any questions because there's going to be a lot of questions uh, that, that these, you know, not, not only the recruits, but their families and their coaches and whoever um, are, are going to want to know. Um, and they're going to have to try and establish some sort of you know, relationships or rapport with one another um, heading into that that signing period because you can't just 
you know, as a as a student athlete, um, it's very it'd be very hard to just sign blindly without really having any type of feel for who your who your next coach is going to be. You know, I, I remember going back to after Bo Pelini was fired and, and Mike Riley was hired. Um, you know that that in home visit with guys like uh, Eric Lee and Avery Anderson and, and the Davis twins. You know that was. They were kind of the make or break visits uh, before, um, you know, those guys graduated early and decided to, to come to Nebraska. So uh, out of their 10 commitments right now, half of them are early enrollees. So they're going to have to act fast. I think the good thing is, is that they've only lost one uh, kid so far. They, Buki Radley House, who was just, you know, a bit, a bit very big loss, you know, their best recruit in the class, but we haven't seen that mass exodus. So to, to me, that that kind of signals that these guys are, are waiting holding, and seeing. Yeah, a they're bit. holding on to see exactly what happens, and then they're going to make a, a decision after they they kind of see what uh, what exactly transpires. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as as we get you ready uh, for this Penn State Nebraska game, but we are talking. Uh, some recruiting and you know I talked to coach Riley about this Nate on Tuesday and he believes that their thought going into this early signing day was if a guy that's committed to you does not sign in December um, they don't even treat him as your recruiter he's almost like a free agent so uh, that will be the interesting thing how many kids nationally you know Mario Goodrich has been one that's been committed and, and he's already been public about saying he probably won't sign in December regardless so that's kind of what will be interesting to see how many of those things play out yeah and it, it not it's not only going to happen to Nebraska but it's going to happen to a, a ton of other uh, schools out there too and like you said I, I think that that will kind of be the the signal that hey look this guy's still on the market he's still open uh, he's still you know maybe his mind isn't completely made up yet obviously so um, you know Nebraska is going to have to try and probably hold on to a couple kids that don't sign uh, that you thought that they were going to sign and then uh, they also might have an opportunity to to get in on some other guys that had been longtime commits to other programs but ended up not signing too so um, and that's going to be the really interesting thing to me is is usually when there is a change you do see a little bit of an uptick in recruiting, some new excitement, some new energy surrounding things. So, um, you know, I, I think it's all going to depend on on obviously who the who the new coach is and and who he brings in with his staff. If any staff members are retained, I mean, there's a lot of variables that are going to go into play here. But it's going to be pretty fascinating to see how it all unfolds. Um, you know, in a span of about two two and a half weeks, especially now locally, Nate. Uh, as we move on, uh, the Class A and Class B state title games will take place uh b is on tuesday uh a or monday and a is on um tuesday excuse me um as uh first of all let's look at this class b game going in uh you'll have york uh taking on omaha scud and and you know i think from the york perspective that's what we'll be watching uh mastering maypu uh nebraska's 2018 defensive line commit and then garrett snodgrass a 2019 recruit uh, that has a very good chance of getting potentially a Nebraska offer here over the next few months. Yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Garrett Snodgrass this year. I've been able to see him play in person three different times, and every time I see him play, uh, I come a, I come away thinking that that he's definitely a Nebraska caliber uh, type of athlete. I, I think that uh, he probably translates best to you know a tight end H 
halfback type of role in the college uh, at the college level. He's 6'3", about 215 pounds right now, but uh, there's a chance he keeps growing. I mean, you look at his dad, Glenn Snodgrass, Big who's guy. the head coach. I mean, he's a legit 6'5", at least, maybe even closer to 6'6", six, six, uh, real big guy. So there's a chance that, uh, that Garrett continues to grow, but um, he had a run against Elkhorn South last week that was just amazing. 38-yard touchdown run where he broke six or seven tackles at least and had like three or four spin moves, um, you know, and, and that was like a – I mean, that was just an unreal run. Uh, you won't see too many runs uh, better than that in, in Nebraska high school football. And um, and he's got a whole nother season to do it. He's a jack of all trades. Um, and he's a great leader, too. I mean, you could tell that, that kids look up to him. Whenever they need a big play, it's usually Garrett that's, that's going out there and making it. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk high school football championship games, Nate, in the Class A game. Um, you'll have Omaha North versus Kearney. In particularly Omaha North, um, you know, a few guys to watch um, up front in this game. Well, first of all, running back Milton Sarball. If there's some late movement, and let's just say a guy named Scott Frost comes to Nebraska as a head coach, Milton Sarball is a guy that could be, you know, a late Jalen Bradley type offer, especially with his legit 4-4 speed. Yeah, he might be the fastest football player in the state of Nebraska. Just a dynamic athlete. Uh, but he's a great running back too. He's not just you know not just a track guy there uh, playing running back. I mean he's got a great feel for the game. Um, his his ability to to change direction on a dime and, and cut um, is just filthy. And then of course there's not too many uh, not too many people that could catch him once he gets into the open field. So uh, I do think that he is uh, you know could play running back at Nebraska and probably worthy of a Nebraska offer. Um, and I think that he would fit really well in, into some certain offenses, uh, you know, maybe even uh, the spread offense that uh, Scott Frost runs. So, uh, they, I mean, Omaha North, though, they just have a dynamic running back um, or backfield there between Sarbaugh and then Xander Gray, who's the complete opposite at 6'1", you know, 235 pounds, more that thunder that thunder and lightning combo. Um, you know, and Gray is, is a beast there. Had some huge plays to, to push uh, Omaha North over Burr to get into the state title game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. Makai Butler is also a guy at North who's having a great season uh, from all things I've heard. Now at Kearney, um, there are a couple guys to watch closely as well. They have a 2020 running back, um, Miko uh, Masner. I apologize if I mispronounced that to all our Kearney listeners um, on the show here, but um, a legitimate you know, track guy runs a sub 1100 um, as a freshman. He ran that. Um, he's a guy to watch. And then Cannon Costner, uh, their quarterback, um, who, you know, is looked at as a basketball guy, but um, been a dynamic high school athlete as well. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how this matchup plays out. Yeah, they've got a handful of really good players there. Uh, you know, the, the Masoner kid is is definitely one to watch. He's, he's a guy that, uh, you know, probably wasn't on a whole lot of radars earlier in the season, but it uh, seems like each week he was ripping off some some uh, really nice runs and, and uh, uh, putting up a lot of points for the Bearcats. And then Kane and Coster, um, you know, maybe arguably one of the best overall athletes 
in the state, you know, as far as a, a multi-sport athlete. Um, you know, I know that he's gotten some attention for basketball. I think he could be a really good quarterback prospect at the next level, too. Um, you know, Nathan Murray is a defensive back. Uh, I'm not sure what type of attention that he's gotten as a senior, uh, but he's a really good high school football player as well. So, um, you know, I think that uh, Coach Cool has got a, got this group playing some really good football right now, and, and uh, that's going to be a really good matchup in Class A. Well, it's Monday and Tuesday night. I'll be the sideline reporter for these games on NET, and Nate and Greg uh, Peterson will have complete coverage of both the Class A and Class B state championship games. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.